Hope that you will turn with me in a Bible to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 2. Our focus primarily will be on Judges chapter 4, but I want to begin with a reading from chapter 2 to set the context. We're continuing to look at the biblical characters named in Hebrews chapter 11. And at this point, those names take a very odd turn. We start seeing names like Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah. We're entering into the period of the judges, and we're seeing some names of characters who are deeply, deeply flawed. And we may have a hard time wondering, why in the world are they listed here in the Hall of Faith? But there they are. And so it's good for us to wrestle with these characters and to see the faith that they demonstrated, however mixed it might have been with sin and disobedience. But we move from the triumph of God's people before the city of Jericho when the walls came tumbling down at the shout of their faith. We move into this dark and upside-down period in Israel's history. It's chaotic, it's messy, it's violent. But faith still shines forth. There's very little to emulate here, very little to, to try to copy, but it's the nature of faith to still shine forth in the midst of failure, disobedience, and sin. So let's see the larger context of what God is allowing here as we look at Judges chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges, who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors, who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge, and saved them out of the hands of their enemies, as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways." Therefore, the Lord was angry, very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. 
So we see that these other nations remain. Yes, some were conquered, like at Jericho, but many of them remain, and therefore they remain an ongoing threat to God's people. The contagion of their idolatry and disobedience remains a threat to Israel. And God allows this. He allows this to test his people. We need to know this is how God exercises his sovereign governance sometimes. He allows the enemies of his purposes and his people to prosper and to thrive as a test for his people. And so what we see here in Judges 2 is a paradigm for what continues throughout the rest of the book of Judges. The people obey as long as God gives them a judge who delivers them, but as soon as the judge dies, then they return to their evil practices, and so on and so forth. This is the pattern. Now, as we turn to Judges chapter 4, we're looking at one of those unforgettable scenes in the book of Judges. We're looking at characters like Deborah and Barak and Jael. And what we need to focus on here is how God wants us to be obedient. We saw around Jericho that our obedience is to be precise. In Judges 4, we see that God wants our obedience to be unconditional. And we need to ask ourselves, is this kind of obedience present in us? Is this the nature of our faith or not? Let's read together, beginning at verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth Hagoyim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Do you see the pattern here? Now, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now, Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pinched his tent by the great tree in 
Za'ananim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Harasheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone on ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harosheth Hagoyim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. As I said, this is a chaotic, violent, upside-down time in the life of Israel. Very little to emulate here. This is not how things are supposed to be. And yet, God gains glory for himself, and we are taught a valuable, valuable lesson about the nature of saving faith here in Barak. We could focus on Deborah. We could focus on Jael. There's so many aspects of this story that are illuminating. But based on Hebrews 11, we're going to focus on Barak this morning and the nature of his faith. So in this time when a woman named Deborah is serving as judge in Israel, the Lord speaks through her to Barak And she says to Barak, the general, take 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. And the Lord is going to bring out Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army. Even though he has the finest technology of this time in, in place, he has chariots fitted with iron. These are like the equivalent of tanks out on the plain of battle. The Lord's going to bring him out and the Lord has promised he's going to deliver the enemy into your hands. All you have to do is go out and do it. Just do what I'm telling you. Assemble 10,000 men from these two tribes, and the Lord is going to 
deliver the enemy into your hands, and thereby God is going to deliver his people from the oppression of this king named Jabin, king of Canaan. Well, there's only one thing standing in Barak's way. And it's the same thing that so often stands in the way of your obedience and my obedience to God's commands. This may be the greatest threat to your obedience and my obedience. It's just a little two-letter word there in verse 8. If, if, underline if, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Barak's obedience is conditional upon whether or not Deborah goes with him. So also, we hear God's command. He tells us to do a certain thing, to go a certain place. And we think, well, I'm happy to do that, Lord, if the conditions are right. If you give me a Deborah to go with me, then I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want, Lord. If conditional obedience. And what we need to see here is that the more unconditional your obedience to Christ is, the stronger your faith will become. The goal is unconditional obedience. Unconditional obedience. And we need to be aware of the ifs in our lives. The things that get in the way of unconditional obedience to God's commands. And we all have them. We all have them. And we need to stare them down and cut the cord. Cut the cord. Whatever that is, if it's, if it's a person, if it's a thing, whatever that is, we've got to cut the cord and rely solely upon God put our confidence and our trust solely in Him. So what are the causes of conditional obedience? Well, as we see in Barak, earthly dependencies get in the way. Earthly dependencies. And sometimes these dependencies are by God's design, and they're good. It's good that God gives us parents and adult figures in our lives, role models to care for us and nurture us and teach us. This is all good and right. It's by God's design. But it's not intended to be forever. And, and you see this especially when it comes to the parent's role in nurturing the Word of God in our children, teaching them, admonishing them, encouraging them. It's good and right for us to do that. But at some point, 
this faith needs to become their own. It's good and right that, that God uses the church. He uses Sunday school teachers. He uses pastors. He uses Christian leaders to help us come to faith. He uses people to help us understand his word, to gain greater understanding and knowledge of his grace. This is all good and right. As long as we don't become dependent upon these other people and these spiritual resources that God places in our lives. And there are times when God tests us by removing some of those resources, by removing those people. And then we have to ask, is my faith really in God? Or is it in Deborah? Or whatever spiritual leader may be in my life at any given time. So ask yourself, how much time do you spend engaging in God's Word on your own? Not just when it's being expounded to you or explained to you in the midst of a Sunday school class or a small group or in the midst of a worship service, but how much time do you spend directly engaging with God's Word on your own? Relying, of course, on the Holy Spirit to help you understand. Have you made this book your own? Or are you relying on those God has put in your life, yes, for your good and for his glory, to help you, to guide you, to steer you, to encourage you? Yes, that's all good and right. But what if God takes them away? What if you don't have that pastor anymore? What if that church goes astray and becomes unfaithful? What about when mom or dad or grandma or grandpa isn't there anymore? You have their example, their legacy, yes, but they're not there anymore in person to teach you, to instruct you. Is the faith still there? Are you still putting your confidence in God? Are you still trusting in Him? And sometimes in that critical moment, we realize Really, we've been putting our confidence in chariots and horses. We've been putting our confidence in a person. And then God takes that away. And he's doing that so that we'll put our trust in him directly. And that's for our good. Do you see how God does this? So our earthly dependencies can often become a source of this conditional obedience. God, I will obey you. I will do anything you want me to do. Just don't take away that person from my life. God, I'll go anywhere. Just don't remove this thing. I can't go without that. What is that in your life? Earthly dependencies. Another cause 
of conditional obedience, of half-hearted obedience, is spiritual immaturity. Spiritual immaturity. There's an immaturity evident in Barak at this point. And it's the kind of immaturity that the writer of the Hebrews is warning against in chapter 5, verse 11. He says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So many people who have come to a saving knowledge of Christ, they are true believers, remained satisfied with milk. And they refuse to progress beyond this toward solid food. And it becomes very evident when the deep things of God's Word are preached and taught And they have no patience for that. They have no interest in that. That's boring. Or, when the solid milk is presented, when repentance from sin and faith in Christ, when the shed blood of Christ as the only way of salvation for sinners is preached, and people's ears are itching for something new, something fresh, something more interesting, then we have to ask whether or not there's faith at all. When you don't even want the solid, the the, the milk, you don't even want the milk, you can't even handle the elementary teaching. And if you can't handle that, then you're certainly not ready for the solid food. Like Barak, we can all be subject to this need for ongoing hand-holding. And we need hand-holding up to a point. We all do. No one is born a fully mature Christian. No one. We all have growth and maturity that needs to take place. We all need to grow in our knowledge of God's grace. We all need to learn more through his word and spend more time engaging directly in his word. All of us. But we can't depend on the hand-holding. And, and that's really what Barack is saying. Deborah, I'll go if you'll hold my hand. As long as you'll be with me, oh, I'll do it. To what extent does that characterize you and me when God calls us to embark in obedience to his command? Now, what's the danger of conditional obedience. The causes 
are clear here. There's an earthly dependency in Barak. He's relying on Deborah's hand to guide him and to direct him. There's an immaturity here. He's, he's not willing to venture out where God tells him to go without Deborah going with him. What's the danger of this? The danger is that we miss out on some of the riches that God has promised to his people. Deborah tells him, don't worry, Barak, I'm going with you. I will certainly go with you. But, nevertheless, notwithstanding, because of the course you are taking, because this is the way you're going about it, because you're not ready to let go of my hand and trust in God and in God alone, because you're so fearful of those chariots fitted with iron, you will be victorious, but the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. The glory, the honor of this victory will not be yours. You're going to miss out. And so we need to, to know this, that when God presents us with a clear command, when your conscience knows this is what God wants me to do, this is where God wants me to go, this is what God wants me to say, and you refuse because you're fearful, you don't think you have it within you, because there's an immaturity within you or there's an earthly dependency within you, and you fail to obey, you're going to miss out. As the hymn puts it, but we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. One more time. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. As long as we're holding back, as long as this if is standing in the way of, of our obedience. We're going to miss out on some of the delights of his love. We're going to miss the sweetness of walking with God through our trials and tribulations. We're going to miss some of the richness of his word, so much that he, he could show you and wants to show you and teach you. But we miss out because we're busy. Or we think, I, I can never understand that. I can't pronounce all those words in Judges 4, so I probably just can't read it. I'll just skip over that part. Oh, but look what you're missing out on. This revelation of who God is and how he works in history and how he can work through his people now. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. Brock did. I pray that you wouldn't. But another danger of conditional obedience is that we go through so much unnecessary worry and anxiety and turmoil because we're not putting our confidence where we should. We're not resting in Christ and in Christ alone. We face so much grief and turmoil and hardship because We've been putting our confidence in this person or this circumstance or this possession or this thing or this memory, whatever it is, however good. 
instead of in Christ and in Christ alone. All the grief, unnecessary grief we carry. And you know this, we've all felt this. When God takes someone away who is precious to you, we will all face grief. No matter how strong your faith is, you will grieve. But does the hope of eternal life outweigh that grief? And is your faith strengthened through that grief? Because you're putting your trust and your confidence in God. The more unconditional your obedience to Christ is, the stronger your faith in Christ will be. Remember that. These are the dangers. Don't miss out. Don't go through all this grief and worry. Think of the turmoil Barak is facing here. He's so worried. If Deborah doesn't go with me, I don't know what will happen. It's all unnecessary. So what are we called to do now? Once we've uncovered this conditional obedience within us, it's in all of us, it's, a, it's an ongoing, constant struggle. You will face it till the day you die, no matter how strong your faith is. This will be present to some extent. So how do we repent of it? How do we turn away from it? We remember that this is God's battle and God will have the victory with or without us. God will have the glory. And look at how God gains glory for himself. We may think when Deborah says that sister is going to be delivered in the hands of a woman, that would be Deborah, this woman of, of power and authority here. But it's not. Who is it? It's Jael, this woman who's just in her tent. And this enemy, General Sisera, after his army is defeated, thinks he can find refuge among her people because there's been an alliance between her husband and King Jabin. And yet God works through Jael to defeat in a humiliating fashion the enemy who has been oppressing his people. And I mean, he's defeated. Notice how twice we're told he's dead. (laughs) She drove, in verse 21, she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Then again in verse 22, after Barak goes in with her to see what's inside the tent, there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. Just to emphasize, this enemy is dead and defeated. He's done. He's over with. That's what God can do. This is how God gains glory for himself. And so even when our faith is weak, even when our obedience is so conditioned, even when our earthly dependencies are pulling upon us, God will win. He will have the victory. Do you have that kind of confidence in God's ability to prevail? If he doesn't do it through Deborah, if he doesn't do it through Barak, he can find a jail to accomplish his purposes and to defeat his enemies. The battle is the Lord's. But another part of repenting of this, in addition to realizing this is God's battle, he will have the victory, he will fulfill his promises, is this. Don't let your past disobedience keep you from obeying his present demands. 
Okay, yes, Barak misses out on some of the delight and the riches of God's love and the sweetness of fellowship he could have enjoyed. Yes, he goes through grief and turmoil that he did not have to endure. But, look what happens in verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, in the heat of battle, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. He advances. He goes. He's obedient. Yes, he was disobedient before. Yes, he was weak before. But now he obeys. So also for you and for me now, no matter how much you may regret what you may have missed out on in the past, no matter how much your obedience may have been conditional in the past, no matter how weak your faith may have been in the past, Now God is calling you to obey his demands. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day when he can renew within you and restore within you the joy of his salvation. Go, obey, do what he says. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, you can obey now by the power of his Holy Spirit working within you. Trust him. Put your confidence in him. Remember, the Lord has already gone ahead of you. Do you believe that? And for the person who trusts in Jesus Christ, the Lord going ahead isn't just limited to defeating Sisera or King Jabin. Our Lord, Jesus Christ, has gone ahead of us to defeat Death itself, our greatest enemy. He's gone to the cross. He's endured the worst that evil and sin can do. Not for good people, but for sinners like you and like me. He's gone ahead. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's conquered the grave. Has he not done this? Go! Go! What's holding you back? What is the if that's standing in the way? Remember the story told to us in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. We're told about a wealthy man who comes up to Jesus, ran up to him, in fact, falls on his knees before him. He says, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I've done it all. Precisely. I've done it all. Don't miss this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. That's great. You've been obedient to all of God's commands here. But there's one thing you lack and Jesus looks at him and loves him and Can you picture the Lord Jesus looking at you right now and loving you 
and saying, I, I, I'm, I see your obedience, I, I see your heart, I see your desire to want to obey, but there's one thing you lack. There's one if standing in the way of unconditional, wholehearted faith in me. For this man, it was his wealth. He's willing to do anything. He's willing to obey any command. It's just, don't take away my possessions. I would be uncovered. What would I do without them? And the point of this is not for everybody to go give away all their possessions. The point is, what is it in your life? What is the one thing when Jesus looks at you and he loves you? And he says, there's just one thing. If you would just remove that one thing, why are you holding on to that so tightly? What is that one person? What is that one circumstance in your life? That one if. Such a small word, and yet such a powerful word. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would cut the cord on that if, on that dependence, whatever it is, and that you would run with everything you have into the loving arms of Jesus Christ, and that you would take his hand. Let go of everyone else's hand. Take his hand. And in his hand, you are safe and you are secure for all eternity. And no one can take you out of his hand. Go to him. Run to him. Don't let any ifs stand in the way. Whatever that is, whatever that one thing is in your life, personalize this. Examine your own heart. What is that thing you're clutching that you don't want to let go of? Anything but this, Lord. Will you let go of it? If you will, consider the delights of his love you can enjoy, the sweetness of fellowship, the power of his presence as he walks with you and beside you through any trial, through any tribulation, through any danger, even death itself. Don't go alone. Don't let any ifs stand in the way. Cut the cord. Take his hand. Let him lead you, and he will have the glory. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want you to have the glory. We trust that nothing we could concoct or plan could ever surpass the greatness of your promises that you have made so clear to us today. Father, we want to obey. We want to believe. Help our unbelief. Whatever it is, Lord, that's standing in the way of wholehearted, unconditional obedience to Christ today, I pray that you would remove. I pray that we would repent of any unhealthy earthly dependencies. I pray that we would turn away from anything or anyone we may be trusting and are putting our confidence in. And I pray that we would turn to you. And I pray that you would save us by your grace through the power of faith placed in Christ alone. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.